This podcast is recorded on the ancestral lands of the Tongva people. Welcome to the Create Well podcast, where we explore the intersections of creativity, wellness, and entrepreneurship. This week's theme is Death to the Middleman. We will be discussing the shifting landscape for gatekeepers in artistic industries. Our guest interviewee is the Grammy-nominated artist, KT Tunstall. They said if I wanna make it, gotta starve and stress and sell. But if I'm gonna be an artist, well, I wanna create well. Yeah, you gotta create well. Hi, Ray. Hey, girl. (laughs) We're back. Week three. We're back. It's week three. Wow. I feel like we've just been here forever and it's the best place to be. I know. (laughs) It's It's been like such a good little journey already. I know. I feel very settled. Yeah. You know? Like, I feel very settled into this. Already. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It's really awesome. And we have so many people out there who are shouting us out. Thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten some really amazing reviews that we appreciate so much as a baby podcast, um, as any podcast. Reviews and ratings are huge. They can make it so people see our podcast before uh, other podcasts. Um, and so thank you. And if you haven't rated and reviewed us and you're enjoying what you're hearing, uh, we'd so appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So what did you do for your create well challenge this week? My create well challenge this week. So, you know, I was really digging deep about what I'm jealous of, of other people. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a huge insecurity about my musicianship Mm. and I'm always qualifying and telling people that, Oh, I'm not really a musician. I play by ear. I can't read music. Um, and I can read music a little bit, but I always (laughs) say that I'm just always Mm. qualifying Mm -hmm. and making sure everyone knows like, I'm not that good, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's silly. And so, but I'm like, Hey, like, let's turn this into action. And so I was thinking about different incredible musicians that I'm jealous of and what do they do that I can't do? They're really great at playing piano. So yeah. And so I set a timer 20 minutes and I ended up playing longer than 20 minutes, but I played piano and I felt really good about that. And I felt very accomplished. And I think that that 20 minute timer will turn into many, many hours continuing. So I'm glad I broke through that and did it. Amazing. How about you? I, um, ended up I I tend to respond to emails in chunks and one of the things mm-hmm. that and we talked about Gen Z last week one of the yeah. things that I'm jealous of with a lot of Gen Zers is how direct and unapologetic they are in the ways yes. that they communicate mm. um and so when I was doing all of my emails or DMs or like business related communication this week I made an effort to be really direct mm-hmm use a few less exclamation points oh my gosh although some of them are still fine right i use a lot (laughs) i use so many oh my gosh every sentence and um just be more unapologetic and um specific about what i'm saying i love that i really do i want to steal that one from you um yeah i i think i I'm a pretty direct person generally. Mm. I'm usually pretty good at it. Um, I always say, but it's funny because whenever I get very direct with people, I'm like, okay, I like, I'm getting really New York right now. Cause you know, I grew up in New York city and yeah. being direct is very, um, you know, for women too. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's, I feel like it's very acceptable. Um, hmm. more so, I don't know. Cause it's just like, Oh, you're just New York, but that's, it shouldn't be just a New York thing. It right. should be a habit. Um, 
And the thing is, I have been also very indirect in certain situations where I feel intimidated or I feel like I don't deserve to be there or whatever. And I've realized that being indirect is very time can being indirect is very time consuming. Yes. And it's just a waste. Uh, like let's just be and direct forth. and go. Right. You know? Right. Um, and this is you know, I use this this week and this kind of brings us right into our our topic this week. Yeah. Um, dealing with a gallery that had reached out a couple months ago and they've just I was somewhat indirect at the beginning of our communications. Okay. And it's led to a very complicated situation where I never signed anything with them, mm -hmm. but I ended up on their website and Ooh. like they were kind of pushing my work, but I didn't want them to. It's been yeah. a really uncomfortable situation, which <sighs> is fascinating in the context of what we want to talk about this yeah. week. So what are we talking about this week, Erica? We are talking about death of the middleman. Yes. And what die, does that die, mean, die. right? So death to the middleman this is what we we're talking about it think about all the middlemen that exist in artistic industries whether those mm -hmm. are record labels um galleries mm -hmm. uh publishers whatnot some of them i think have more of a place mm -hmm. than others some of them i think are dying quicker than others right um some of them i think are great some of them i think are terrible and um so we're going to explore those right uh this week and talk about specifically ones that are dying and maybe don't have much use anymore and how you don't need to rely on them and how gatekeepers are uh don't really hold the keys anymore mm -hmm. and uh yeah so we had a i had a very exciting interview with katie tunstall yes. um i interviewed her and so that's going to happen in a little bit and we're really excited about that and we had some chats about record labels um and this new platform it's not new anymore i'm sorry patreon you're not new but it's new to her and, and to me um you know as of the past couple of years which is patreon and um and so yeah so there's a lot to explore there with music but i'd love to hear from you erica about how middlemen exist in the art world mm. and how they're living and dying right now right it's it's a fascinating time too with covid because what had already been happening i think with artist middlemen which are primarily galleries also art brokers um but again primarily galleries is the death of galleries has been expedited right. because of COVID. of COVID. Yeah. Like brick and mortar was already going out. I, I had three galleries that I've worked with close in the last two years. Really? Um, close their, uh, or their in-person operations, mm -hmm. keeping their online operations. Um, which is very sad. It yeah, is yeah, really sad. I mean, so, yeah. so the, there's some beauty well there's a great deal of beauty for visual artists in having a physical space to show your work because mm -hmm. it can actually interact with people in the real realm and in a tangible right. physical way but um, i love galleries i love walking through with my yeah. glass of my free glass of wine exactly i love sneaking oh into gosh. gallery shows i don't understand why more people pre-covid didn't go to our openings because they're such an amazing and beautiful event to go to mm -hmm. But what I think, you know, COVID has just pushed in like into hyperspeed what mm -hmm. had been happening, which is that with the rise of social media, 
um, and the ability for artists to get their work in front of thousands and thousands of people without having a gatekeeper who mm-hmm. quote, knows the quote collectors and the people right. with the money that we're told at least that artists don't have access to um all of the sudden there's this massive like there's nowhere to show your work there's Mm -hmm. nobody who's like there's very few people who are bringing on new artists right now and everywhere is closing I think, and I I got the chance to listen to you and Katie's interview, which is mm-hmm. coming up soon, but I think this is a really ultimately positive shift. Mm-hmm. And, and something that For you sure. and I talk about is these are systems that are really broken. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that they have been built over generations and generations like all of the systems Mm -hmm. in our culture is built on really rough things yeah when you look at the numbers in the art world of who's making money it's primary like overwhelmingly of course white men Mm. who are the gallery owners the brokers the auctioneers wow and the artists it ends up being this whole conspiracy Mm -hmm. with a lot of these middlemen because i mean the human like way is to you know, you help your friends, you help your buddies, you help people who mm. who feel like they're part of your community. Yep. So with galleries, maybe there's this whole thing where, you know, like white men are helping other white men because yep. they feel like this is their club and totally. they put their work in their gallery. They, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. And so that, yeah. when you think of it like that, it's like, wow, this is a huge, hugely important shift in order to create more of a a sense of equality in the art world yeah an autonomy that you can what we always say is you can be successful and thrive independently of these things especially yeah. you know if we utilize our communities our yeah. social media our like the things that and if we share resources right um and mutually commit to yeah. uh uh lifting one another up yeah and um uh, and and something that I think is good to say, because because you and Katie talk about this too, um, you you talked about how eighty percent is often taken from the mm-hmm. record labels, yeah. which blew my mind. Yeah, because when I tell people that galleries take fifty percent, that like you know they're floored by right. that. Um, but and 80%. yeah, eighty percent <laughs> absolutely. And you're given this advance mm. that you have to pay back with your twenty percent. I mean, she wow. talks about it in the interview. Yeah. And so it's wild to me. And and here's the thing, too, when you think about it as a pie, Mm -hmm. I always said I would rather have the whole pie and it be smaller than have, like, one piece of a giant pie. Like, to me, that's the kind of artistic career I want to have. Maybe not for someone else, but to be it more in control and to know yeah. that the work I'm putting out and the money coming in from the people who I love so much, the consumers of my work, my mm-hmm. community, my fans, it's going, they know where it's going. It's not going to some executive. That to me is freedom. That is why I became an artist. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about having a sliver of a gigantic pie, that doesn't excite me. I don't want to, you know, so it's, in, it's, it's so related. Yeah, it's the music and the art worlds are right. And when we like, I think now we're all developing, especially for white folks who haven't learned this, we're all developing 
a better language around the brokenness of systems. Mm -hmm. For example, in the last two years, art by black artists has gone up for auction at Mm -hmm. astronomical, incredible prices. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's finally being valued. Amazing. The, it's it's like been such a beautiful transition. However, who is profiting off of that? Mm. It's not the artists. They're, oh it's, my God, they're getting the such a huge cut. And the galleries. Oh my God. And the artists often sold those works years ago and suddenly <gasps> it's popular. And so oh, then it goes up for auction. So and what they wow. sold for $8,000 15 years ago now is worth $500,000. I want to throw up right but now. But they don't get any of that. None that of is it. wild. And that's very similar to music because how it works when you sell your publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, you could sell your publishing for a song yeah. for whatever, 10 grand, $50,000, blah, blah. And then the publisher ends up getting it placed in this gigantic... Wow movie where it's making millions but you sold a hundred percent of your pub to so no residuals honestly like i can't say exactly but i know that it depends so there's like you know with songs there's there's different there's like the publishing Mm -hmm. side and there's the master side so maybe you have a small small piece maybe maybe not depends on your deal um but when you're when your publishing is owned a hundred percent or your masters are owned a hundred percent by a separate mm. entity and they are exploiting that to the ends of the earth they are getting the money right. it's it's scary and everyone's like well at least you're getting the exposure like fuck exposure seriously fuck exposure. <laughs> it's always about the exposure it's a little bit of exposure it's, and, uh, and that's the thing job. we have the access to exposure now autonomously yeah and if we utilize our communities and if we utilize the circle of people that you know we can come up with a more communal system that is much healthier and must, yeah. much more based on um, honest distribution mm-hmm. of what you're earning for your work. Yeah. Um, so that's what's so exciting. I freaking yeah. love social media. Okay, I was going to ask you, so, because I know the answer to the question for me too, yes. but how do you feel when artists come up to you in any artistic medium and it's like, yeah, I just don't like social media. Mm-hmm. I just don't do social media. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Because when I hear it, I am just like major eye roll and I'm like, you're missing out on a giant, a giant and essential business move. Right. You got to be on social media. I respect if you're happy and you're making enough uh, of a living without it. Built a way into their life to support themselves and because social media can be an attack on your mental health. We both know that. that. (laughs) So for some people, I understand that it, you know, it, it can be a messy place to exist, but if you do feel like you have the capacity, it's, it's a game changer, I think. And it takes a lot of work like any other job (laughs) to keep up with what the trends are and what, um, different ways to market yourself yeah. and um promote your work and that alone can be kind of intimidating for a lot yeah. of yeah <laughs> i'm just being very hard on people i'm like get on there but no, it's interesting but- because like when the internet came out mm-hmm. <laughs> how many people were like i just don't do the internet the yeah. internet is i don't want to yeah. do that and, and now. now it's an essential part of everyone's lives yeah. i know there are people out there who don't use the internet i'm sure like and honestly like hats off to you you are right. all incredible but um I think that any innovation when it's new and it's foreign and it's Mm -hmm. scary um, and it's intimidating, um, we resist. And so 
I urge that if you can handle even a little bit of it, artists out there, and it's so different. Yeah. If you're thriving and you don't need it, then who cares? You're great. You're yeah. good. But if you have any complaints about how much you are making from your art mm-hmm. or how much you're growing or anything mm-hmm. like that, if you have any complaints and you're not on social media, like I'm going to give you some tough love and be like, you should get on there. Yeah. It's you know? a worthwhile investment. And you, you can look at it as a job. It's a, it both a of job. Us look at it as a job. We, mon- we both monetize our social medias. Mm-hmm. To me, it is absolutely work and it's fun too, you yeah. know, but, um, I think that, I mean, most of like, my ticket sales, album sales, gigs, everything come. Mm-hmm. Like if I were to get on a chart and, and locate where it came from, it's coming from social media. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting when we talk about like the total death of the middleman thing, because it's like, okay, well, if we're not going to have these middlemen doing our work and taking a huge cut, right. we're going to have to do the work. Exactly. And a lot of that work, um, and being our own boss uh, is something that we can use these platforms that are in mm-hmm. front of us to our benefit. And so, um, yeah. So I'm excited to see what KT has to say about all of this. <laughs> Suddenly I see this is what I want to be. Suddenly I see. everyone i'm so excited for our first official interview on the create well podcast i'm here with katie tunstall hey katie hi (laughs) i can't believe you're here i'm so excited i'm just cheesing over here um and so katie tunstall she is a multi-million selling grammy and mercury nominated artist who truly truly needs no introduction she has released seven albums seven right katie well it's i think i'm on my sixth studio album and then there's been live albums and acoustic albums and so yeah it's basically about seven (laughs) there's acoustic albums and six studio albums so much incredible music and she's had hits such as suddenly i see and black horse and the cherry tree and that were soundtracks to many lives of many adolescent girls in the early 2000s including myself um and uh katie it's so good to be here with you today the I started uh listening to your music because and actually i forgot about this my brother had to uh remind me when I told him about uh, interviewing you was that we actually got your your song suddenly I see for the first time on a compilation CD from Old Navy oh Um, wow that's so awesome it's like the most bizarre way of of like discovering music Yes, but it was so cool because this was the Old Navy near my grandmother's house. Yeah. And um, one of our field trips when we were kids that we could go do by ourselves was go to Old Navy. It was just so random. And (laughs) they had these scratchers um, that they handed out to people Mm. when they came in as like a promotional thing. And then you won something. And so I scratched mine and they were like, you get a compilation CD. That's so cool. And your song was was the first track on the CD. It's so um, funny. My dad, because yeah. my dad, like my mom and dad didn't listen to music really at all. Really? And they had a tape player, a cassette tape player, and that was it. But my dad like really made an effort to try and help me out with music. So on my uh-huh. 15th birthday, 
he bought me, it's called Boots in the UK. It's like a pharmacy, but it's basically the equivalent of a CVS compilation CD. (laughs) And he bought me this CD and that had like, it had the jam, the stranglers, Blondie, like um, who else was on there? Uh, Pat Benatar was on it. Yeah, I mean, it was just a crazy mix of people. But but that first like compilation, what, what those early mixtapes that you get yeah. when you're young can be so deeply formative so, to you. Really, so influential. It's funny because my brother. He remembered exactly the like the track listing too and wow. the fact that what your was song was number one. Um, you know that song, oh, how's it go? Like something's in the air tonight. All I can to break. With that first line, all I can think about is Phil Collins now. And way California. Oh, this more than I oh my god. It's just that song and your song were the two that we listened to over and over and over. Yeah, it was just a lot of really good, really good tunes and all thanks to the old Navy compilation CD. And the great part is that I actually won it because there was a chance I would have scratched and gotten free socks. So I'm exactly. really glad that I got the compilation Imagine. <laughs> Imagine. Could have it could have been such a different, different. Like you could have ended up like a puppeteer <laughs> instead of a singer-songwriter. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm so grateful that I scratched the right thing. Um, you might anyway, be making a similar income as a puppeteer, as a singer-songwriter. Oh my gosh, to be it's honest. very true. And I would probably still have a Patreon account. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, this week's theme is death to the middleman yeah and we're going to be talking about the birth of the direct artist to fan relationship in the music industry and to start off i would really love to hear how the direct artist to fan relationship has played a part in your career as a major label artist and how it have you seen that change throughout your career and how you feel it's changing now and where everything is going with that makes sense yeah I mean I don't think it would have been possible to see it change more within Mm -hmm. my a 15-year career than I've seen Mm -hmm. because I literally kind of caught the tiger's tail of people buying records Mm -hmm. and um so 2004 was probably I mean 2005 was maybe the last year before the internet started to tsunami the music business wow um and so it was very strange because um when I started out I had a website I'd set it up myself I was answering all the emails myself Mm -hmm. as you do um Mm. but I was also still sending mail I was sending postcards mm. because I was still getting postal addresses at gigs. Mm. And that's how I'd started wow, doing it. When I was no when way. I started out busking and playing in cafes, there was no email. The internet wow. wasn't happening. <laughs> and you got people's postal addresses and they usually got your postcard about three days after you did your gig. So they never knew oh. that it was on. Um, oh my goodness and I mean it's crazy I feel like so I I feel like so ancient that I it's it's (laughs) it's like recent history where you there was no YouTube I mean YouTube Mm. was so new when I was Mm -hmm. on Jules Holland and it was kind of Mm. so and that was very good that that was you know that existed Mm -hmm. at that time because you know that whole kind of um 
Sorry, if you hear like weird squeaking, that's my dog having a dream next to me. <laughs> oh my goodness, please, doggy dream. Dream that's all day, doggy. Hear her? Oh my gosh, I love it. There <laughs> we go. Can you hear that? Oh yeah, I can. Whatever it is, is so cute. Little squeaks coming from her. <laughs> she's, she's obviously saving, uh, saving vulnerable dogs as the leader of some dog army. Oh. in a in a field somewhere um, oh my goodness i want to that should be your next music video is this doggy exactly theme. um but yeah so i you know i've i've watched the entire landscape change mm-hmm. um and my so my first album it's really interesting this sort of direct fan thing because there is a very kind of old school fan club culture Mm-hmm. that people my age born in the 70s and 60s and maybe even early 80s probably not but of this mm-hmm. fan club like there was this club called the Tufty Club that I was part of where it was a squirrel mm. and mm. you'd kind of schools would do it and you'd get a, you'd get sent a little pin badge and you'd get <gasps> sent a little certificate saying that you were in the Tufty Club and really the only point wow. of being in the Tufty Club that was that you were in the Tufty Club. <laughs> and it wasn't like, but I think you got, you got sent like quizzes and, you know. Um, so you I weren't guess, a fan, like you weren't like a fan club of anything specifically. You were just a part of the club. The Tufty Club was just that you were a fan of the squirrel. Oh, and, okay. and the other kids were in the Tufty Club. So you're all in it and you get your badge wow. and it was just wow. super cool. And, um, I think there was kind of an educational element with schools where they would send kind of Tufty Club related kind of learning projects and stuff. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show. But all any of us remember is just having a badge and just feeling totally cool. That's so cool. I mean, it's supposed to show like how much community, even at that age, is so, is so important. And like, I have a pin, you have a pin. Yeah. I remember there's there's another amazing kids show called Blue Peter in mm-hmm. the UK, which is a very, very, in- it was, it was a super interactive TV show. And, mm-hmm. um, if you got your blue Peter badge, that was like a huge deal that you did wow. something for your community and you got a blue Peter badge, you know? Um, wow. and, but it was interesting with my first record because it came out, I had the Jules Holland, I was on later with Jules Holland and did my performance and it, you know, mm-hmm. completely kind of blew up and my record got released and it, my album initially went into the charts at number 73 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a year later it was number three wow and how did that happen so that was literally word of mouth that's so cool you know there was definitely uh there was definitely major label weight yeah behind it but it's right extremely rare that a record label can build something for that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Usually the record label is going to have the ability to do a big flash yeah. advertising campaign, you know? Have you ever read and the book, The Tipping Point? No, I know of it. And I, I it's yeah. definitely on my list. But yes, it's, a really, it's, it's that same thing about word of mouth. That's exactly what happened is enough yeah. people, enough people told enough people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it, instead of it, instead of this kind of firework record, yeah. it was just this fucking slow burn campfire that just went for years. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. And, wow. And I was still answering my own emails for, you know, on my website. Really? And it was so funny. 
after that Jules Holland thing, I knew that it had blown up because I woke up and checked my emails and I had like 500 emails. I was like, whoa. That's so cool. But I was getting these amazing emails. And one of the ones that I remember really vividly was this guy who was like in his 50s. And he said, "Um, please don't tell anyone that I've emailed you because I'm a punk. And if any of my (laughs) punk friends find out that I really like your music, they won't be friends with me anymore. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell and anyone. I was like, that's the coolest, man. That is the most radical email. I've, I, I, I hope then, I get yeah, like that I then also got an email from someone going, I absolutely thought you were black. Wow. And I can't believe you're a white girl. You've got a, you sound like you're, you're, you're a black girl, the way that you wow. sing. And I was like, oh my God, that's maybe the best wow. compliment I've ever been given. Oh my um, goodness. Wow. So it was just, you know, I was experiencing this really very personal level of interaction with people. And, you know, I grew up a total people pleaser as well. So I was very Mm -hmm. bad at at, at boundaries with people wanting to say hi and all of that stuff. So I would say, you know, for 10 years, I was an hour and a half outside after the show. Wow. Saying hi to people. So like word of mouth played such a huge role in you know getting you to number three and your songs becoming Mm. this like these viral hits and so what do you feel the role is of the record label especially today versus then and do you feel like it's kind of going away as in, in terms of importance I think that, you know, I've heard conversations about the rise of the indie label again, mm-hmm. and I do see that as a really strong argument in the business mm-hmm. areas of music, because I think even back then when I signed my record deal, I didn't want to sign a record deal. I felt mm-hmm. like it was signing my soul to the devil mm-hmm. and it was not, um, it was not comfortable for me to sign a deal, but I knew that if I didn't, I didn't have much chance of, of mm. building a career at that point in time and where I was and circumstantially. Um, and I, I, I signed a deal for £23,000. It wasn't a big, a huge record deal, oh, wow. mm-hmm. but they did commit to tour support and they, mm-hmm. they ended up pouring a lot of tour support into my wow. career. And that's unheard of nowadays. That's tour unheard supporter. of. And yeah. that is why my deal was good. Yeah. It was because they paid for a band. They paid for oh my me to go to America and, yeah. and you know, they did pour a lot of money into marketing and advertising. So that's, if you're looking to sign a record deal, mm-hmm. the reason you would sign to a label is because they're going to give you shit tons of money. It's the money. It's, it's like it, it amounts of money that is, unless they're, you're very independently wealthy, it's, it's impossible to really yeah, front yourself. They're, they're a yeah. high, they're a high risk loan company with a mm-hmm. lot of in-house tools and, mm-hmm. and team to mm-hmm. assist you in getting your music out to as many people as possible. Right. But if they don't give you the money and right. they're not, they're not assigning you people to help you, then it's not worth signing the deal. Which is how it really is now. I mean, so many of these yeah. uh, offers that I've seen for my music and for yeah. those uh, that I my peers, it's, hey, we'll give you a deal and we'll give you help, but we can't give you any advance and or tour support. Yeah. And it's like, well, then what are we here for? There's it's no money. Just, it's just, we're going to take a well, portion, other, but we have yeah. connects, you know, and it's like, the there's no guarantee. It's, it's, yeah. it's so saturated, you know, yeah. it's like, there's so much out there and mm-hmm. people don't have magically more money and time. 
yeah you know all the people mm-hmm. still have the same amount of bandwidth money and free time than they did 10 years ago right well, not right now yeah <laughs> right right now is definitely the pause button um yeah but, but i think that um that is a really, really difficult factor for new artists is that the, mm-hmm. there's just, it's such a, it's such a crowded place these mm-hmm. days. Um, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is, the, the, but the argument for the India label is really interesting because if they sign you, they can't afford to just, you know, sign you on a whim. Yeah. They need to make you successful mm-hmm. to justify having signed you in the first place so they right. are going to put more they're mm-hmm. they're going to gamble more on you mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. by signing you because they're mm-hmm. not a big conglomerate company that can write you off as a tax dodge mm-hmm. yeah so, and so for anyone listening right now who does who's not familiar with like so there's like major labels um like you know the, the big names that we know then there's indie labels which are smaller yeah. and then there's indie artists who have no label. Yeah, um, but I, I think if I was right. to give if I was to give a brand new artist advice now and I, yeah. and it would depend on what they were making for sure. Mm-hmm. But say it was someone who was making songs that were similar to me. Yeah. I would say if you're writing your own music, I'd say this to everyone, if you're writing your own music, go get your publishing deal first. Mm. Go and concentrate on publishers because the your your income's going to come from your royalties. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. going to come from your records. Mm-hmm. So get yourself signed as a writer and that might mean writing for other people. That's great. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I signed as a writer for myself. I've never really written for other people. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you can get your publishing sorted, then hopefully the, the publishers are better at giving advances, which is great. Mm-hmm. So when you get your advance, honestly, when you start out, if you've got the material and you've got a way of developing that material to sound like decent enough to put on YouTube or send to a radio station, which is not hard these days Mm -hmm. to get it sounding pretty good. If you've got a few spare thousand dollars, spend it on PR, Mm -hmm. get yourself a freelance PR agent Mm -hmm. and work on a single, try and get some traction. And I'm telling you, you will get a like radically better record deal offer. Mm. once you've done that yourself and actually yeah. generated and what you might find is that when you've done that you're like I don't need a record label yeah it's really yeah it's like finding your way of being your own agency being your own boss and then making this the, the decision rather than just signing away at the first moment well this is you it know? because mm-hmm. you know the record label if you're signing to a major they're going to take 80 percent 70 percent and when wow. you get an, when you get an advance you say you get a $50,000 advance, mm-hmm. you are paying them back via your 20%. You don't pay them back via the 80% wow. they take. That's pure profit right. for them. So right. you, that's why you get pop stars in the, in the at number one who are broke because mm-hmm. they're making the record wow. label millions, but yeah. they're not seeing their, their 20% until they've paid back what they were given. Wow. through that tiny percentage yeah. it's, and it's really like, i mean it's totally yeah. it's totally like it's so twisted wow. it the, seems, the industry it's wow it seems pretty twisted and it's 
What's really good to know, because a lot of people, they have this fantasy about big labels and they don't understand. Like once you break it down, like you just did, it doesn't sound so romantic as it did before. You know, it's like, oh no, actually this is, this is a a very intricate business uh, relationship. It's not just this, okay, you sign this paper and then you're a star, you know? And so, um, it's also a really, really old fashioned business. Yeah. When I was changing. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in, um, you know, the middle of say album three, we could see it. We could see the internet Mm. was about to completely decimate record sales Mm. and they didn't do anything. Mm. They did nothing. As if anybody goes into a movie theater and expects to go in for free. Mm. As if anybody would go in a bookstore and just take something. Wow. And Wow, wow. and 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 the label heads instead of going, we need to protect our artists, said, mm-hmm. how can we make more money? And they, and they did deals with the streaming platforms that serve investors oh, man. and tech. And they yeah. have left artists utterly high and dry. Uh, death to the middleman. Yes, that's wild. And so which brings me to our to the exciting part that we connected on so yeah and i want can i tell you a really quick story before we get into it please please please. i am working on a project that i can't talk about completely openly yet but it's with an absolutely unbelievable best-selling author (gasps) i love reading i can't wait to hear i know and she was a tv writer in hollywood okay and all of the tv writers in hollywood realized that their agents were taking a huge cut of the pie and not actually doing anything. Hmm. And literally overnight, Hollywood TV writers sacked an entire tier of management. Wow. Overnight, they got rid of writer agents and they don't exist anymore. Wow. Pretty amazing. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Wild. I cannot wait to hear about the secret project. I know. Well, it's, it's, it's very, very cool. (laughs) it was very it was very inspiring hearing yeah. that story of, yeah. of a proper unionization mm-hmm. and and galvanization of a creative sector yeah. realizing that they were just getting fucked wow and going yeah. no and more going, no we're no no thinking, yeah no more oh yes I love it. The people taking back what's theirs. I love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, um, you know, we, we talked about labels and we talked about all these middlemen who have taken their piece for so long. And one thing that has changed that is so exciting is this new and awesome, awesome different platforms that are so direct artists to fan. One of which me and KT are on and we're very passionate about is Patreon. And so, Katie, I would just love for you to tell us about Katreon and K-Rave <laughs> and how your career and your artistry and has changed, one, since you launched Katreon, and two, mm-hmm. just in this whole COVID world of yeah. not touring. And just I, would just I can't wait to hear you just tell us all about it because I know how freaking cool it yeah. is. Yeah. So I became aware of Patreon via the amazing Amanda Palmer. Um, Me too friend of mine inspiration oh, you know just complete iconoclast yes and um 
you know, from the outside looking in, knowing nothing about Patreon, what seeing Amanda do it looked pretty terrifying. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, that looks. It seems a lot, you know, like um, just the level of personal sharing the level of engagement, the kind of mm. complete and utter 24-7 nature of it um, <laughs> kind of scared me, um, especially because at the time I was touring and I still, pre-COVID, was touring extremely regularly. So actually, mm. this year I was booked to play about 200 shows. Wow. I was wow. going to be at home wow. for about a week. Um <sighs> And it's too much. I didn't want to be doing that much. But mm-hmm. as it was standing, that was kind of, uh, you know, my, my situation. I'm an aspirational musician. I'm building a studio. There's things I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I need to keep building income for that business. Mm-hmm. And touring is a dreadful, dreadful business model. Oh, it's yeah. just the worst. And, and, and there's a very odd shame culture amongst mm. musicians that no one wants to admit that they're struggling financially yeah no one yeah. wants to say i'm actually not making any money yeah and i oh everyone God. wants to say all oh, my shows have sold out and yeah. you know and they haven't yeah and they're not and mm-hmm. i went on a band tour last year in march and it was it was an all-female band it was a very rock and roll album that mm. i made and i really wanted to present that record with a band and i was playing you know the headline show in london was the roundhouse which is three thousand people mm. it was an amazing tour it was six weeks and i made seven thousand pounds wow wow and every single person on that tour including well, certainly the crew in the band. I don't know about the merch person, but every mm-hmm. single person made more money than I did. Uh huh. Yeah, that's how it goes. It's and oof. it was just a sacrifice I wanted to make because I wanted mm-hmm. to play with the band. Yeah. And wow. so, even solo, you know, you're sacrificing your entire home life mm-hmm. to really not make as much as you're putting in. Yeah, I don't yeah, I've lost make, money on a few of my yeah, tours, and people when I tell people make. that they freak out. You know, it's yeah. like what? It's not a job. It's I'm like, that's how it goes. So you and and, and the reason we do it is because we love doing it. It's what we want to yeah. do with our life. But yeah. so COVID hits, and I'm like, shit. I I mean, the whole year is just, what am I going to do? I have a studio mm-hmm. mid build. I don't mm-hmm. want to halt it, and who on earth knows how long this is going to go on for mm-hmm. but one thing's for sure is that live music is one of the last things that's going to come back on that's true that's scary um, mm-hmm. and so i went you know i'd been thinking about patreon for a bit but part of the reason i wasn't doing it was because i didn't feel like i had time and voila suddenly i'm at home yeah. so i launched it on my birthday which was the 23rd of june so yeah. lockdown had been going on for a few months and so I kind of got ready. I didn't do an awful lot of preparation. The biggest preparation was thinking about what I could realistically offer. I'm uh-huh. not a very organized person. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm also very forgetful. And so I was kind of intimidated by yeah. 
you know, having to deliver on time and having to sort of do regular stuff. And I was like, oh God, people are going to get really annoyed if they're paying for it if I'm super forgetful all the time. As it turns out, they find it terribly lovable and it's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> Within reason. They but, just um, love you for who you are and if that's who you, it's just, that's how my patrons are too. Yeah, they're so forgiving. The, <laughs> exactly. But the two, the two incredible revelations that I've had through launching Catreon universe Mm -hmm. is number one everybody wants to be creative it's you know we are not the creatives in inverted commas and they are the fans Mm -mm. every human being on the planet enjoys being creative life is creative every single day you are creating you are you you know you everything you look at that isn't grown by nature is a thought made real everything you touch everything is imagination everything was imagined by someone and then taken into existence that that just completely blows my brain when i think about it that everything i see is 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 a thought you know so what's to stop your thought becoming a thing you know Mm -hmm. and and what i've noticed is the purity on this platform of tapping into creativity as a as a as a verb rather than as a you know a method wow. to make money wow you don't have to have some fucking incredible business you know success story at the end of making something you can just make enjoy making and just so make and share and make and share and make and share yeah and, just, and it yeah. doesn't have to have an end result you know and wow um and, and so I was doing these raves through lockdown because I didn't, I didn't want to sit and play my guitar into my phone or into yeah. my laptop. Firstly, because it just feels sterile. Secondly, yeah. because the sound's crap. Mm-hmm. Third, yeah. because I just felt it was very unhelpful to the music community as a whole to just be doing what we do for a job for free. For free. I... And the same, and I haven't and streamed I had, for free. Yeah, yeah, I had some really complex emotions where I was feeling really angry. I the, had the same, yeah. same thought process. Yep. The first I was two or three angry. months, I was just like, every time someone was like, you're doing nothing at home, play. I just want to go, fuck you, man. Mm-hmm. This is my, this was, my job. There's work I, to this, yeah. I've trained for like 30 years to be good at what I do. Yes. And I blood, I sweat blood to make records yeah. mm-hmm. and I spend a lot of money to make records mm-hmm. and I don't want to spend my lockdown playing for you for free. Why don't uh, you play yeah. for me for free? Yes. Yeah. Snaps and claps. Yeah. I, so, I was, I had this exact speech that you're giving right now to my manager. We were yeah. both, I mean, she was on the same page as me. We both were just like, why are people doing IG lives every night at eight o'clock yeah. for free for everyone? It's making it so that the rest of us look like, assholes for being like no you're i'm gonna have a ticketed show on this thing or join my patreon for a certain amount of money to watch me because this is my job yeah so i've done i've done two paid performances now Mm -hmm. uh and i and then there's a couple of a couple of other performances that i've been paid for which has been great right yes so they're dealing with their ticket selling and whatever and i've done a lot of stuff for charity for nothing yes um and it's like, and I'm, I'm very happy that I've done it, right. but there was definitely a point where I'm just going, wait a minute, this is not raising meaningful amounts of money for this charity. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. giving 
their ch- the charity some content for their social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's finding that balance so that you're not completely burning yourself out yeah. doing this stuff. Um, and it's actually not serving you, you know, yeah. in any way. And, but, the, but the charity side bit, you know, every time there's a disaster, musicians are always at the forefront right. of doing anything they can Absolutely. to help raise money for, yes. for important funds. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to offer in these situations. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel you. It's, there's, there's such a, like, we can't, we can't help every single um, cause. So whenever I do do anything for a charitable organization, I'm very specific about, you know, I'm very intentional about it. And I do do free performances for, for a charity, um, charitable organizations, but it's like these free, like just live on this, live on that, live on this. It's just like, Oh my goodness. We're talking about a devaluation of music. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we all have to get on this page because we all have to be in on the same page and work together or else it, it makes it harder for everyone else who's really trying to stick to their guns. So, yeah. 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 And so, so, yeah. So, you know, it was just a no brainer. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. it's time. I have to, I have to take the bull by the horns here and mm-hmm. try and steer this in the yeah. way that I wanted to go. And so I ended up doing 50 online raves it was weekdays for <laughs> however many months uh, where we just danced to music that I love. 90s dance tracks, basically. It was basically like so trance techno and ridiculous workout remixes of like Never Ending Story and I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. And, wow. you know, and then like my mom did a playlist and then, you oh. know, Maggie Rogers did a playlist and Shira oh did goodness. a playlist and Eve Barlow <laughs> did a playlist and oh Mel goodness. C Sporty Spice did a playlist. And oh, I love Mel C. It was just, you know, it was very cool, but I was then getting to the point where I was like, I can't realistically mm-hmm. do this every day. So I decided to make Katie Rave part of Patreon mm-hmm. because the great thing about Patreon is that you can link it with tech platforms that people are mm-hmm. already um, comfortable with. So there, I have a private Patreon Instagram. Mm. So if you join my Patreon, then I let you into my private Instagram account. Yeah. Patreon. Totally join us. Different. I'm on there. I'm on there. I'm on oh, the private yeah. IG. I'm feeling so cool. Part of Patreon. So what, what? <laughs> and so, um, you know that, and I, and it, and the really great thing about Patreon too, is that there's, it's, there's a template for how you run it. You know, you have tiers mm-hmm. and you can offer different things, but there's absolutely no rules. No rules. You know, you could you yeah. can charge whatever you want and you can say, this is what you're going to get. And then you see if anybody buys it. It's a blank platform, which is why when people are like, when people are like, tell me, because, you know, I've had a Patreon for two years and, or longer, uh, two and a half years. And people will come up to me like, Oh, like I don't do it. Cause it sounds like too much work. I'm like, actually it's however much work you promise. Yeah. Like, no one tells you how much work it has to be. You decide no, it's that like, it's a blank it's platform. Like yeah. Yoko Ono started a Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> and she said that it's going to be a thousand dollars a month to be on yeah. my Patreon, but you're going to get a hand drawn postcard from me every month. Yeah. 
she would get a lot of people a lot of agents yeah yeah and that's all she needs to do like it's all she you, has to do it's whatever yeah, you promise you yeah. choose what you're gonna promise yeah. right and, yeah. and and the and the cool thing with that is that you can be extremely creative so one of my favorite things about my patreon is that i have an actual physical peel box And it's, and I live in Topanga. So the post office looks like something from fucking Harry Potter. And it's like, (laughs) you know, all these beautiful, um, ornate post box, the whole like wall of post boxes. And I go down there every couple of days with my key and open Mm. it up and it's like Christmas every day. And then I go down to my writing room and I, and I write back to everyone. Yeah. It's incredible. And And yeah oh so cool and we we don't have much time you've been so generous with your time with me today oh my god i thought we just got started we could talk about patreon for forever because we both are like i will get i'll get to the second incredibly important thing that i've yes oh yes please please which is i just considered myself a live performer Mm. i thought i write music i write i i put out records and i'm a live performer and what this platform has showed me is that i am you know, part of part of the reason that I've been, I know that I've been described by people in the, guys, by the way, men mm-hmm. in the business as mm-hmm. difficult or unmanageable. <laughs> and part of the reason for that is just that I have so many things I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I have so many ideas that I want to execute that it's almost impossible for anyone to try and help me mm-hmm. make those things real. And I'm realizing on Patreon like we're having a collage class. I'm going to do a kintsugi <laughs> class where we, where yes. we like, you know, we use gold epoxy glue to fix broken things because it's I will more be there. Yes, be there. We're going to had a samba class. We've had a Brazilian percussion class. Oh Anything that I am interested in, I can so. bring into that world. And yeah. actually, at what we were saying the other day when we were speaking about it is that your name. And and you as an artist actually becomes a place. You become mm, a location, location. Mm-hmm. for people to come and be in that world. Yeah, and it's not. It, and it's very much the music might get them there, but it's very much not just about music. That's just yeah. that is a, just a, that's kind of like the trunk of the tree. Yeah, it really is, and I think that with my Patreon, my music is the least interesting part about it. <laughs> you know, it's like the best well, part. I'm sure is- that's not true, right? <laughs> but- it's like, it's so funny. It's like the most engagement I have is over my poetry, yeah, you know? Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, it's Tuesday. Yay, it's poetry day. Oh, and so nice. um, that, you know, I feel like is is more exciting because they – you know, of course, like they, I'll, I'll post exclusive songs. They love it. They love it. But a lot of the music is what they get on the public mm. platforms, but on the Patreon, it's like, oh, this is like the, the, the secret stuff that Ray doesn't want to yeah. share with other people. And this is exciting, you know? I mean, I think just as a zoom out, looking at what's going on, there's mm-hmm. definitely been this move towards, um, extreme glamour in music you know, particularly mm-hmm. for female artists mm-hmm. there's been a, since i started in 2004 there's just been a really radical kind of sexualization mm. there's been a very kind of radical glamour aesthetic kind of move mm-hmm. uh to to a, com- a a very different kind of ideal you know mm-hmm. um and it's the age of celebrity basically Mm, and um 
And that, I think, has been very damaging to emotional connection with mm-hmm. songs. Mm. So there's a lot of songs now that are some of the most popular songs in the world that are completely unemotional. Mm. Mm. They're not actually making you have feelings. You're not connecting mm. to feel, you're connecting totally. to an attitude mm-hmm. and you're connecting to an outward um, uh, stance mm. in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. But, but it's rare to hear a song that really makes you think you're going to be turning to this piece of music in 20 years time. Mm, I feel you. I feel you. And it feels like now songs like that are, oh, this is vintage. This is singer songwriter. This is yeah, not which so is kind cool of why anymore. Adele is so incredible. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. I love the new Taylor Swift record, by the way. And I not, mm-hmm. I haven't, I've not been, I've not been that fussed about the previous mm-hmm. stuff. It's not been mm-hmm. my bag really. And I, I listened to this new one and I was just like, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And it's, she's very good at picking out very personal mm-hmm observations and memories you know and yeah yeah I got more on the the T-Swift train after watching the documentary I wasn't yeah and, me, too, me too yeah and, <laughs> I was yeah I I understood but, after then yeah you know she's it's not a great example in the conversation mm-hmm. that we're having because mm-hmm. you know the, the the album that's that's affected me most in lockdown is Petals for Armor by Hayley Williams mm. I just thought it was such a beautiful record and it's wow. so very very vulnerable record and mm-hmm. um really int- musically interesting as well and um mm. but i you know i i think that with a platform like patreon it the 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 movement of this cultural shift to something more fantastical and yeah. more unreal mm-hmm. has left people very hungry for mm. actual connection Real connection and yeah, yeah, and even with also, COVID, especially yeah. being so and disconnected, turn, mm-hmm. I think that movement has also made artists scared of mm. showing themselves. Mm. It's mm. all become guarded, and it's all become facade, mm-hmm. and that's a sweeping generalization. But that's just mm-hmm. the feeling I get from mm-hmm. what I see when I look out at contemporary music and what's doing mm-hmm. really well. Yeah, and I think I that feel people. You. If artists are willing to, you know, really open up again and share themselves and fa- and, and and allow fans to know who they are, mm-hmm. that you get something very, very meaningful mm-hmm. that that people are more than willing to invest value in. Mm-hmm. Wow. Know? Yeah, so well said. And it's it is such a safe space patreon it's that's like this the other thing right? little corner you, have the a, you have mm-hmm. a proper you have a security guard yeah making sure that no one comes into your space who doesn't mm-hmm. really want to be there and we were laughing because you know it's just like let's see who will pay to troll <laughs> yeah 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 pay five dollars a month to troll me and my music yeah yeah that's it's like and if you do then fine you earned it but um yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I'm just so grateful for this conversation, Katie. And, and any our creatives who are listening, we know we have a big, big a huge following of after two episodes. No, we have a, a base <laughs> of lots of creatives who also um, maybe are considering Patreon. So uh, I know me and Katie highly suggest getting on Patreon. And you're always yeah. welcome to message me if you need any advice. And, um, and yeah, and so before we leave, um, 
KT, I wanted to yes. ask you our, our last question that we always ask everyone, yes. starting with you, our first interviewee. Um, in one sentence, what does it mean to you to create wealth? I think I would answer by saying create to the benefit of others and not ever to the detriment of yourself. Chills. Chills. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'm going to have to frame that yeah. on the create well wall over here. Yeah, it's wow. like there's this really horrendous acceptance that you must suffer for your art. Mm. And yeah. we suffer. Life is suffering. The Buddha yeah. said it. Yeah. But... You you do not have to suffer to make art. You can turn your suffering into wonderful art, but 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 never never believe that you have to be in pain to make good art. Yes, and that's exactly what we say on the Create Well podcast. So thank yeah. you so much, KT. It means so much to me to have you. Thank oh, you. Lots of love to you, Ray, and to everyone listening. It's just such a pleasure to be having these incredibly exciting conversations about the future i agree thank you and now for the create well challenge of the week this week's create well challenge in the context of death of the middleman we are encouraging self-promotion what do you make what do you write what do you advocate for So first, make a minimum of two posts about it this week. It could be a story, a tweet, an IG photo, or a TikTok, but show your stuff. And then send it to us so we can promote it with you. And don't forget to tag us or use the hashtag CreateWellChallenge. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, our Patreon followers will have exclusive access to monthly live Q&As, extra photo content, and giveaways. Thank you to our first patron executive producer, Susan Anderson Nelson. So be sure to sign up at patreon.com slash create well. And this is Suddenly I See Differently by Katie Tunstall. Feel like walking the world, like walking the world. 
Thank you. 